You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about the business and culture of book selling in the 21st century. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Before we begin, if you like what we're doing, there are a couple of ways to help us out. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the show via Patreon. Finally, I'm excited to announce a cool partnership with Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first audiobook company to directly support independent bookstores. They make it easy for you to listen to more audiobooks at a great price, all while knowing you're helping your community thrive. Learn how to get your first month for 99 cents at bookstories.show. This week's conversation is with Josh Spencer, the man behind The Last Bookstore in downtown Los Angeles. We're neighbors, and I tried to get him in studio, but scheduling was a bit of a challenge, so we did a video conference instead. But I was happy to talk to him any way possible. Josh is such a great guy, and I had to hear for myself how he built The Last Bookstore into the international brand that it has become in only a few short years. For those that may not know, Josh's personal story is as inspiring, if not more so, than his professional one. And the last word on The Last Bookstore. If you haven't been, put it on your list. It's a special place. Here's my conversation with Josh Spencer of The Last Bookstore. Look, I want to thank you for participating in this. I'm actually really excited to meet you and talk to you. I got a chance to watch that Atlantic documentary, that little short film that was made about your story, and it's just super inspiring, and I hope we can get into some of that. But first and foremost, you're my hometown store. I've been coming to you guys since I've been in L.A., so I'm really excited to sit down with you. So... What's the origin story? How did the last bookstore come about? Take listeners back a little bit and give us some uh, context to who you are and, and how this idea came to be. Um, I guess the origin story, yeah, if you go way, way back. I mean, I, I graduated college in 98 and uh, moved back to Hawaii, which is where my folks were living at the time. Where'd you go to school? And, uh, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, in okay. North Carolina. And... Uh, majored in communication studies. Um, and it just, I didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, I had just recently, uh, been paralyzed. I'm, I'm a paraplegic. So I just recently been, uh, paralyzed my junior year of my college career there. So, um, I was just kind of in limbo, you know, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I, I, uh, I was having a hard time paying the bills. I couldn't find any jobs. Um, there weren't too many, you know, communications jobs in Hawaii. So, um, did you say uh, my that, grandmother, did you say that family oh, sorry, was in Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah. My family, my whole dad's side of the family, I've got about 30 relatives out there. And is so. that where your injury occurred? Do you, do you mind talking yeah. about the injury? I didn't want to go there. If it... We can talk about that. Um, I mean, that's definitely been a part of, you know, a huge part of my life and, and how I've had to run my business. Um, it happened when you were a junior in college, you said, yeah, junior in college, I was 21. I was just riding a moped one morning and I ran a stop sign and I got hit by a car. Um, so I was paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, that's been my life for the past, uh, gosh, 22 years now. So It's crazy how time flies too. So you, let's go back to Hawaii. So you graduate, you have this injury and it's basically altered your life where does the idea for a bookstore come into your head? And, and, you know, it sounds like you were at a pretty rough spot. Can you describe how that breakthrough moment happened? Definitely. Um, I wouldn't say the bookstore was anywhere in my mind at that time, but that's when I started selling books on online, on Amazon and eBay. Um, 
both of those platforms were just coming about, you know, in the late nineties. So, um, you could sell anything on there cause there was no supply and you know, everyone was jumping on and just trying to sell anything you could. So I started selling all kinds of miscellaneous things, everything from clothes to used CDs and, uh, furniture, you know, I sold some cars, I sold, you know, you name it, I sold it online. Um, but books were always the store of my first love. I was always a big reader. Um, and it just seemed so easy and I was, and it was easier to store and organize everything and, and not have your house look like a garage sale all the time. Um, so I just started focusing on books. Um, and honestly, I wasn't really doing it as a career. I had no idea of doing a bookstore. Um, but I just did that for about five or six years just to pay the bills. Um, and I got pretty good at it. You know, I would only work an hour or two a day and I could pay all my bills doing that. Um, so I just sold books. I would just go to thrift stores and, you know, I'd buy a box or two of books, go home, list them, mail them out the next day, you know, once they sold. What were you looking for? What was your, I guess, your strategy? A bit of everything, you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I knew certain categories well, you know, things that I read, you know, science fiction and, uh, things like that. And I also knew quite a bit about music because I had sold a lot of used CDs over the years, even back as as early as 94, as soon as I got on the internet, I started selling CDs on message boards and things like that. So I had a history of doing that. Um, so I would look for sheet music books and songbooks. Actually, the first time I ever came to LA, I actually flew over just to look for songbooks that I could sell online. Where did you um, go to look my, for those? Was there a specific uh, place in LA? I just went to music shops, like different guitar shops and uh, places like that. You know, they would they had you know stacks of these songbooks and tab books guitar tab books that they didn't know were out of print and worth a lot of money. And so, people were buying them online. Those specific. Yeah. People buy them online. You know, I could go and buy, you know, I could go in and buy a, you know, a white snake sheet out, you know, sheet music book. And then I could, I'd pay 10 bucks for it. And I'd flip it online for 150. You know? wow. So it was, I would just kind of, that's, that's what financed that trip, you know, cause I could go and get, you know, I got a couple boxes of books and I think I made two or three grand, you know, on top of my, travel expenses. So Shout out to Whitesnake was, for funding your dreams. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was kind of hooked on, you know, it was a treasure hunt. That was the fun part. It's just going out and looking for treasure. So, you know, you uh, said a really cool thing, treasure hunt. That's one of the most core things about the last bookstore and, and bookstores in general is just, it's always a constant treasure hunt. You go in for one thing and you come out with three other things that you never expected. Right, right, right. So what yeah. was your nexus to LA? So you're in Hawaii and you're doing this, you're selling these things from Hawaii. And then how does LA come into the mix? Yeah, I had no connection to LA. I mean, I had never lived here. I had never been here before that. Um, because I, now I, your brand, the last bookstore is pretty much when anybody who knows anything about like you know, what's going on in culture, if they think about Los Angeles, the last bookstore is on in that lexicon now in such a short period of time. Um, so I'm interested right. in how, how you picked LA, why you picked LA and kind of the genesis of all that. Well, I think uh, probably LA just because my best friend um, in Maui, he went to USC and he left Maui, you know, while I was there and uh, he was a little bit younger than me, but he went to USC and I didn't really um, want to stick around in Hawaii due to various things um, in the early 2000s. And so I ended up just saying, oh, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll move over to LA and, and hang out with my buddy. And uh and that's what I did. I just, it was just a new adventure, you know, I was just trying something different. Um, I had no aspirations, <laughs> you know, I hadn't, I was just going to keep selling stuff on the internet, you know, you were, so, you were taking it day uh, by day. Yeah, yeah. Day by day. This was about 2002 when I moved out to LA. Um, 
So basically just couch surfing, you know, little apartments here and there. Um, gradually sort of building the online thing, but I, I had no ambition really. I was just surviving day to day by day. Did you already have the name in your head? Uh, no. What was your no, online what was your it. online sales enterprise called? Or did it even have a name? I think my online name was um I can't even remember now, but I think it was uh I can't I can't remember. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> it's that long ago in my mind. Um but I was, anyways, I was doing that for a while. Um, it wasn't until uh, 2005-ish that I kind of started getting serious about that as a business and thinking, well, I'd, I'd like to work full-time and actually see how much I can do with this. So that's when my buddy and I, uh, we moved downtown because uh, that was the cheapest uh, place to live in L.A. at the time. In 2005, you could get huge loft space for really, really low rent, you know? Caveat being um, at I, the time. At the time, right, yeah. Um, you know, I think we got like a 4,000 square foot loft for like 2,500 a month or something. You know, so when we just started filling it with books immediately, I just was like buying books, hand over fist. My, that same buddy that I moved over here to hang out with, he had uh, given me a loan of $10,000 just to buy books. So we were just basically just going to like huge auctions and estate sales and things like that and just trying to get as many books as we could. And all again, this was all just online oriented. I had no concept of opening a storefront. Um, so then um, cut to about maybe, I don't know, a year, a year later, a year and a half later. Um, and I'm in the lobby of my apartment building one day. And this, this guy in a cowboy hat comes up to me and he's like, you're Josh. He's like, I've been looking for you for three months. He's like, uh, we need a used bookstore in downtown LA. I want you to open one. He's like I heard about your loft full of books and, and I was like, literally wow, okay. complete stranger guy with a cowboy yeah, hat. Yeah. It was this guy named uh, Brady Westwater, which some people may know. He, he was kind of a man about town. He still is. Um, he helped hundreds of different businesses in the early, uh, you know, mid two thousands, um, to get into downtown LA. He was just sort of out of the goodness of his heart. He just loved downtown. He's like a fourth generation Angelino and he, and he just really wanted to, to see downtown revived. So, he uh, he helped tons of little business. He did he own Did he own buildings and like give like people money. breaks on rents or? As far as I'm aware, he made no money off of any of it. He didn't own anything. He just knew every building. He knew every landlord. He knew every space available, and he would just take you around and, and you know help you find the right spot and convince you to open a business. So um, he's basically a downtown LA power broker. Basically, but no, pro bono, yeah, no pro bono. Yeah, just for the. Cause he loves LA, you know, and he just really wanted to see things change, you know? So, um, he's quite a character. Somebody should, should do a documentary on him someday. Cause he's, he's got crazy stories to tell, but I'd love it. Anyways, his name is Brady. His this. name is Brady Westwater. You said, right? Brady Westwater. Okay. Yeah. If you Google him, you'll find all kinds of stuff about him. Um, he's got, he's a, he's, he was actively blogging and things like that. I don't know if he still is, but, um, He's, he's well known by people in city council and all that. So um, anyways, he's the one that sort of put the idea in my mind. Um, you know, and he helped me find a space that I started looking at. This was about 2007. Um, and I went through, you know, I decided, oh, you know, I'll try it. And uh, I went through like three months of like hardcore lease negotiations with this really draconian company. <laughs> and ultimately it just ended up stressing me out so much that I just gave up and I was just like, forget it. I'm not going to, I can't do this. Was there pushback because you were trying to open a bookstore? Was that part of it? Like had Uh, they had, had that seeped into the culture yet? 
I had no experience dealing with with landlords, especially like huge corporate landlords, which this is one. This was one that was was that. You know, it was like a parking lot company that owned a bunch of spaces as well, and they just could care less about you know the business or bookstores or or me as a person. You know, right. it's all about the details and. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I ended up not even sleeping for like three weeks straight because I was so stressed out about it. And I was like, I can't live my life like this. I'm not going to do it. So I told Brady, forget it. I'm not going to do it. You know, they didn't want to budge at all on the things that I thought I needed. Um, so I gave up. You know, I just thought, well, I'll just keep working out of my loft. You know, that's fine. Um, so I gave up on it for about a year and a half. Um, and then um, a space happened to open up like right downstairs from my loft building. Um, and I knew my landlord, you know, it was, uh, uh, and we had a good relationship. Um, and he was, he was friendly to me and, you know, it was a much more personable kind of thing. And he said, you know, if you want to take this space for just like a year and a half, we have other plans for it, but if you just want to try it out, you know, like low risk, um, just see how it goes. And I was like, Oh, that sounds great. You know, it was, it was not much money, small thousand square foot space. So not your current um, spot. Not our current spot. Nope. This was our first spot. Um, so we just opened up. We, my dad flew over from Hawaii. He's a contractor. He built the whole space out in like three days. <laughs> um, he built all the shelves and everything. And in the rain, it was like raining. We had to carry in like a hundred sheets of plywood. And, um, did you buy the plywood anyway, from like Home Depot or did you yeah, get it from yeah, like around town? He, my dad bought it. He sourced it from like a lumber company. Okay. So he, 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 you know, he came over and handled everything. Basically, he rented a truck. The reason I asked the reason I asked that question is because some uh, bookstores I've talked to they actually took wood from closing borders or closing Barnes and Noble stores and they salvaged it into bookshelves. Yeah, we did that too. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, yeah. That part of the, the later story. Yeah. Um, so this was like uh, when was this? Two thousand nine. Uh, Christmas 2009. Basically, we opened our little store there. And it, this, was um, this one called the last bookstore? This was called the last bookstore in Los Angeles. So it was a longer, longer name. Um, and we got some pushback from that from other bookstores who thought we were kind of insulting them somehow with that name. Um, no way. Whereas I, I had not thought about it, you know, it, that much in depth. It was just, they just came to me and I was like, oh, that's, that's a clever name. I'll just use that. Local, um, local stores or like, was it more of a national uh, outcry? Other local stores were were a little I just heard this through hearsay yeah. that they were a little myth right. you know, that we we weren't gonna be the last one. They were gonna be the last one. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was um, the inspiration uh, behind the name? Talk about that a little bit. It was just uh, I, I was newly married that year. I think I'd been married for um about a year at that point, a year and a half. Um and my wife and I we just kinda threw around some names. You know, I had a few of my favorites, she had a few of her favorites. We just kinda I don't know, a few days, maybe a week we talked about it. Um, until the last bookstore in Los Angeles seemed to rise to the top and both of us could agree on it. Um, That's a great name. Um, and yeah. I, I love to hear the story behind coming up with business ideas with names because a lot of projects stall at the name stage. I've always been really good with names. I love, I love names. Like, you know, Do you remember lists, what the runner-up was? Yeah, it's actually, I think, my email address. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, it's a good booking is uh was a runner-up i think that was like one of my favorites um and then i forget what my wife she had a favorite of hers too but um we had quite a few um but anyways we uh we opened up 
you know, no, no marketing, no advertising. Nobody knew we were there. We just were there one day, you know, all of a sudden people would start walking by and be like, Hey, there's a bookstore here. And, and uh, so they'd stop in and were there any other yeah, bookstores well, downtown at that time? There's one that uh, recently just closed Caravan. down. Yeah. Yeah. Caravan was there still. Um, and, and they were probably a little bit smaller than us. You know, they were probably, I don't know, six or seven, 800 square feet, maybe at most. Um, so we were probably twice, maybe they only been in five, 600 square feet, but, um, you know, they were totally different. They were all antique books and we were, we were all sort of newer used books. Um, was this first store of yours, is this when you incorporated new into the mix or was it still just used? No, we, didn't have any, we didn't have any new then. Uh, it was all used. Um, and we didn't even have enough books to fill that small store. I mean, it was half empty when we opened. So people thought we were closing when they came in. <laughs> they would say, oh, are you guys closing? So the shelves were half empty. Um, so that was funny for a while until we filled it up. Um, and it didn't take long, you know, and people would just start walking in, selling books to us. And, uh, you know, just people in the neighborhood kind of getting to know that we were there. And um, it was all very local. Um, Art Walk, downtown Art Walk was huge for us. You know, once a month, uh, it was it had just uh, started like, I don't know, a year or two before that. So it was kind of at a, a real peak moment there and it was really popular. And so once a month, we would get our rent paid just from Art Walk, you know. So the rest of the month was just kind of gravy. Um, so, um, you know, we did our thing. Uh, we were there for a year and a half and it went really well. You know, at the time, I think I had maybe uh, three, four employees, uh, working in the store. Um, so it was a legit bona fide small business at that point. Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I already had, before that, I already had two or three people working for me, you know, doing the online stuff. Um, so, you know, I was getting my feet wet with employees and all that. Um, but they were all friends of mine. Pretty much everybody that worked for me were friends or friends of a friend. <laughs> so I wasn't like legitimately, you know, putting ads out and hiring people right. like you would. Right. Well, if you okay, can go, if you can work out of your, if you can operate out of your network, you know, more power to you. It's so hard to find good people. Period. Right. Right. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't hire some of those people nowadays. But they were, they were <laughs> when you're bootstrapping, you, know, you got to do what you got to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And a couple of them are still with me today. You know, but some of the others have moved on, obviously. But um, it was fun. You know, it was just. Where was that store? What's there now? Uh, is there's a Baco restaurant there. Um, it's a, it was a fourth and main in the old bank district, only a block away from where we are now. Did the landlord want to so, keep you at the end or were they, were they committed to their, no, their plan? No, they were committed to the restaurant project. Okay. They, they love restaurants. So they, they, uh, they were very big on new restaurants moving in there. So we were never part of the plan. That was fine. You know, it was, um, but you know, then when our lease came up, it was a little stressful. Um, and honestly we looked around and we didn't find any spaces anywhere downtown that we really felt good about. So again, it was kind of like, well, we tried it, it did well, but you know, I'm not going to move into a space if I don't feel like it's a good space. Um, you know, I read tons of books about all that. And, you know, if it wasn't a good location, I just wasn't confident. You know, I'm, I'm not a risk taker. <laughs> um, I like things to be pretty well defined. I like to be really familiar with what I'm doing. Um, if I'm going to put a lot of time and energy and money into something. Um, so I was just like, well, none of these feel right to me. I think we're just going to call it a day. Um, and then Brady Restwater came to the rescue again. And he was like, uh, well, Angel on your shoulder. One yeah. He was just like, well, there's this one space. He's like, it's quite a bit bigger than your current space. <laughs> He's like, it's more than you, you know, you were looking for. Cause we were looking at smaller spaces that were maybe two or three times bigger than what we had, you know, 
two or three thousand square feet. Um, you said you're not a risk taker, but you go this. If you're if you're talking about the space I have on my notes here, twenty two thousand square feet. Well, at the time it was just the ground floor we were looking at, which is ten thousand square feet. Okay, so, <laughs> still a big jump. Yeah, uh, but you know it, it was all due to Brady again. I mean, he really is the reason there is the last bookstore, um, and I say that without without any doubt wow. in my mind. You know, he's the reason for it. So he found this space. He showed it to me. Um, you know, it was just an empty old bank building, not being used for anything other than the occasional event. Um, so it had no price. So there was no tenant before you, or there was no exiting tenant. Uh, not in recent years. I mean, it was a hundred-year-old building, so no one had been there. I think for a couple decades, really, other than just like I said, events and things. Uh, it had been restored, so it was it wasn't like you know in disrepair or anything. But um, the landlord was just kind of looking for the right tenant, um, and he was friends with Brady. Um, you know, and the landlord uh, Paul Su, he's he's a Taiwanese, you know, Chinese guy, and he's he was just looking for the right tenant and he, he liked what we wanted to do. Um, he favored, you know, independent businesses. He, he calls his tower, the spring arts tower. You know, he's, he was in favor of arts and artistic expression. And, um, you know, he had other offers from big national chains for two or three times as much as we could afford. Um, but he really liked my vision um, and Brady vouched for me. Um, and so he listened to Brady cause they had been friends for years. Um, and he just gave us like a hell of a deal. Like really I couldn't have asked for a better start where he was just like, I'm going to let you grow into your business. He's like, I'm going to charge you basically nothing in the beginning. Like it was very little, uh, hardly more than we were paying before. And, uh, for this huge space and I couldn't believe it. Wow. You know? He so, gave you runway basically to do this. Yeah. He believed in us. Um, and he gave me the space to build my vision and, and, you know, work into paying more rent eventually. Um, and it was just amazing. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a better landlord, um, you know, more help as a small business owner. You know, if, if more landlords would do that kind of thing, I think we would have a lot more successful small businesses instead of nine out of 10 closing, you know. So quickly to turning over and then opening up like a right. chain right in its spot within a couple of weeks. So you pitched him, this is a businessman, he owns buildings in Los Angeles, you know, he's doing okay. You pitch him on this idea and you basically tell him what your budget is and he has other offers on the table that are significantly higher, but he, he just makes this choice. And the pitch wasn't anything special. It was just kind of like, I'm going to build an amazing bookstore in here and, you know, I kind of like this style and that, that was about it. There was no pictures, there was no drawings, there was no... You know, he basically just took me at my word. The design that you have in the store now, all the spaces, all the nooks and crannies, all the spiraling, that was not part of your pitch to him. Like the aesthetic and the no, the the, really. the museum aspect of it. I was, yeah, it wasn't anything, anything. I don't remember even talking to him about any of the, the details of it other than it's just going to be a beautiful store and we're going to make use of it. Was he thinking in his mind though that this is going to be good for me because it's going to attract like you're going to create some sort of a landmark? Did you and him kind of have a sense that this could be as big of a deal as it is now like in terms of cultural lexicon? No? No way. Not at all. I, I had, in my mind I was still selling books out of you know my, my garage. I know? love like, it. I, I love it. You know, it was, I had no ambition. I had no idea of what it could become. It was just I wanted to see this exist. happen. Um, and I didn't care if it failed. I didn't care if I didn't make any money. You know, in my mind, I was thinking, well, we're going to give this a shot. It's going to last two or three years and then we're going to be kaput. You know, they're going to spend my wad and 
bookstores are going to be dead. No one's going to be buying books on you know anymore. They're all going to be going to eBooks because at the time Borders was going out of business. What year this was time. this when you when you uh, he, this he, was 2011. Um, so Borders was going out of business right then. And, uh, that's, what's so amazing to me. You know, they're right at the same time that the stores were downsizing, you jump to 10,000 square feet and it's, it's this perfect, like, uh, we talked about superheroes before we started recording this podcast and it's like, it's literally like, well, no problem. I'm just going to push against the grain and I'm going to double down. I, I just, I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, again, a lot of that goes back to, you know, to my injury as well. Cause that, by this point, you know, I had had a good decade of dealing with being disabled and just trying to overcome obstacles. I mean, that was my whole life basically is just trying to overcome obstacles at this point. So I had this mindset of, you know, I can just do whatever I can think of. Um, plus, you know, I come from like a punk background. So DIY, it was just like, well, just, if you can think of it then you can do it, you know, just figure it out. Um, may not be fun, maybe hard work, but you can still make it happen. Um, so I had that going for me. Um, and then just really all the people that came alongside, I mean, it was just amazing. Like, um, there were so many artists that were already renting spaces in the building uh, uh, above us and the landlord suggested certain ones that might want to work with us and do stuff basically for free just to kind of make a cool space. Um, so everybody kind of joined in. It was basically just this big art project where I had the master vision and then I would say, Hey, yeah, you do that. And I was like, what idea do you have? Oh, that's cool. Do that. You know, so we just had people coming out of the woodwork who didn't ask for anything. None of us had any expectations. We were all just kind of like, well, let's just make this cool thing and make it a space that people want to keep coming back to. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I did, you know, in my mind, like obviously my ideal bookstore was like, oh, I want to make a place that's just like a huge giant living room or something where people can just come and hang out. And like, it's just really cool and artistic. And, you know, it's, it has movies and music and books and, you know, just all the stuff that I like in one place, you know, I, I had had that kind of fantasy for a long time since I was young. Like, not that I would open a place like that, but, oh man, I wish somebody would open a place. Uh, you, like wanted to, that. you wanted to be around a place like that as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, and so that was, uh, that was always kind of the back of my mind, you know, um, since I was young. Um, but again, nothing I was going to do until now. And then I just had this opportunity and I thought, well, let's just go for it. So um, how soon after you open this, the downstairs part, does the upstairs part happen? This artist collective? That didn't happen until I think a year or a year and a half later. Um, and again, the landlord was kind of, from the beginning, he was like, you know, just, you know, as you want, there's more space, you know, as you grow into it, you can rent more space, you know? And I didn't think that was ever going to happen really, but, um, it did, you know, pretty quickly. Um, the artists on that walkway up on the second level, are they basically subletting from you? They're actually not. They're subletting. They're actually just leasing directly from the building, okay. from the landlord. Yeah. So we don't, we don't uh, lease ourselves that half of the upstairs. Um, they have their own thing going. So, But luckily, those, half of those are artists that helped us build out the space. So they have the same aesthetic as us. So it really tied in really nicely. Whose idea um, was the tunnel? And how did that come to be? Because that, in my opinion, is one of the things that broke Instagram. Like you invented that, having people take pictures at places and tag their location. It's got to be one of the most tagged spots, um, at least in, in our little bubble that we live in in LA. How did that come about? Can you talk a little bit about that and whose idea it was and what books you guys picked to go in that tunnel? Right. Uh, it was a mix of different people. You know, I, I, I wanted to do a tunnel. Um, the guy who owns our record shop in our store, uh, he wanted to, me to do a tunnel. 
my dad came up with the idea. I can't remember who exactly came up with the idea at once, but we all had sort of concurrent ideas and then we kind of hashed it out. My dad is, you know, he's a contractor and then the Scott, the record store owner also has a background in, in furniture construction and contracting. So they kind of worked out the engineering of it. We tried a few different iterations until we found something that was structurally sound and worked. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it took a week of, of guys with drill presses, drilling holes in books and bending rebar to thread through all the books and, you know, drilling into the wall and the floor and everything. So it was, it was a big project. <laughs> well, now, I mean, but, now uh, it's probably one of the top spots where relationships are consummated and yeah. uh, proposals. I'm sure you've got to have, there have to have been some proposals in there at this point or yeah. are you, that yeah, you were, sure. yeah. There's been a lot in the story. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Do you host, have you hosted a wedding there? Several weddings. Yeah. We haven't had any in a while just because we've, we've gotten so busy that we sort of priced ourselves out of the, the market. Yeah. It's too expensive for us to close the store. Right. Now. Right. Um, but we've had a few, you know, we've had maybe half a dozen weddings that I'm aware of, um, including a few authors, some couple of well-known authors got married there too. So, so now you're at 22,000 square feet, a lot of books, you're a well-oiled machine. Uh, how do you approach curating? So what are your thoughts on it? Um, I have a sense that you're a generalist bookstore, but everything you have, especially all the times that I've been there, there's there's something intentional about the books that I'm seeing that are lined up next to each other. I'd like to think it's not accidental. Right, right. Well, I mean, we, we try our best to be all things to all people. Um, that's kind of the philosophy. I, um, you know, that's one of the things that I love the most is, is curating the books. So that's, that's actually the thing that I spend the most time on is actually sorting through boxes of books that come in to our warehouse, um, you know, handpicking all the new books that we carry. I go through all the catalogs. I, you know, I do all that. That's you. Um, that's me. Yeah. So I have other, I have people making suggestions, you know, making lists for me of things to pick from, you know, if I don't have time. Um, but it's me. I make the final decision basically on on most of the books that are uh, coming in either through the warehouse or as new books. Um, uh, stuff that's bought over the counter in the store, I, I don't see that those things. But um, that's that's a different uh, operation. But um, yeah, so my my philosophy basically from the beginning was just like. I created this whole system, uh, what we call core books, which are things that are either common or classic within the genre. So the things, you know, the perennial bestsellers that people always ask for um, in any category, you know. So we, we, I worked tirelessly, and I'm still actually working at this, just like researching every category of books. What are the classics in that category? What are people, you know, talking about over the decades? You know, what are the things that we should carry? Um, and I, we just made lists and databases of all these books, you know, over the past, uh, you know, 10 years or however long it's been, I've been working on that. Um, and I'm still learning things that are classics like, Oh, I've never actually heard of that book, but it says it's a classic in this category. So we need to carry, you know, kind of thing. So, um, that was the first element of it. The second, um, that we really wanted was just for people to, to find books they'd never knew existed to discover just random odd treasures. Um, uh, even books that may be valuable, we let slip in here and there just so that people can find these treasures that are worth, you know, hundreds of dollars and get it for five bucks. Um, so that was, that's the other aspect. So I kind of wanted to have these two extremes where you have what you expect to find in a bookstore and what you come looking for. And you also can find these things that you never knew existed and be excited about that too. Um, so I'm kind of trying to peel both of those. 
as well as like the, you know, the collectors, you know, everyone who's into their obscure category that they really want everything ever written on that topic. You know, we try to carry things like that too. And you um, line up, a lot of the, you line up new ahead. with used, right? Like you put them, you treat right. them equally. Um, yeah. Do is, was there any publisher pushback from that? Um, or do publishers no. even care? They don't, I know. Okay. I, I don't really talk that much directly to publishers. I have some staff that do, and they may have heard something here or there, but there was probably, <clears throat> excuse me, a little pushback in terms of trying to get events the first few years because we were mostly a used bookstore. A lot of publishers didn't want to deal with us in terms of letting their authors come. Um, but that's, I think, mostly gone away. Um, there's still some of that. And it wasn't up until maybe two or three years ago that a lot of the publishers in New York still had never heard of us and didn't know who we were. Um, so it, it wasn't really until recently that we kind of became really well known nationally. Um, so yeah, I've lost my train of thought. What were in terms of the things that sell, is there anything that sells really well lately that you're kind of surprised by? I'm hearing from some people that poetry is having a big moment. Yeah, is it's it- having a huge moment. Uh, and there's things like that that have really fluctuated. I mean, I, even in the short time we've been open, you know, nine years, it's uh, it's changed so dramatically what people are buying. It's crazy to me. You know, like in the beginning when we first opened, you couldn't you couldn't sell a women's studies book to save your life. <laughs> it was just like the least popular category ever. Now those are obviously flying off the shelves as well. Wow. Um, you know, poetry, you know, LGBT, like none of that stuff sold at all when we first opened. You know, um, and now it's all going crazy. Um, there's certain things that have always continued to sell. Classics are always doing well. Philosophy has always sold well. You know, art and architecture and photography has always done well. Like there's certain things that have stayed consistent, but other categories that were dead in the water when we first opened are now really hot. So I'm sure it's going to change again. Something else is going to come up, you know, in the years to come, just as, as time goes on and culture changes and people's interests change. So that's pretty fascinating, you know, but it, it definitely requires, me and my staff to sort of stay on our toes and like constantly having to be learning, you know, about new things that we may not have been up on before. Um, what, what's a trigger yeah. for you? Like, you know, um, you, you see that uh, some subject matter or some genre or some authors moving all of a sudden, what makes you decide to double down on the genre? Is it a couple of days worth of data? Is it a week's worth of data? How do, when do you pivot? It's probably, it's probably weeks or months. I'm not that quick on the, on the trigger. Um, there's definitely a lot we could do better and I'm not even a huge data guy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a novice when it comes to spreadsheet data. I spend a lot of time on it, but honestly, I don't, I, I think probably my, don't know. You got to have a feel. It's about the instinct, you know, with the, with stalking and, um, it's just, it, I'm just, in, I'm interested in what you, when you, when you're like, wow, we need to get more of those or we need to shift in, in this particular direction, how long that takes you to realize. Some of it's data, but honestly, a lot of it is just my staff. Who, you know, they're the ones, they're the boots on the ground. Yeah. And they're the ones that will tell me like, hey, we need more of this. Or, you know, people are asking about this. And, you know, so they're, they're definitely the ones that, that turn me on to new trends like that now, uh, much more than data or any kind of marketing or anything like that. Um, you know, the coloring book thing was huge, like a couple of years back. And, you know, I was just like in disbelief over that. I'm like, really? Adults coloring? Like what's going on? We here? Have, <laughs> my wife has four stacked up in a cabinet somewhere. She used it for like three yeah. days and now we have, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, things like there's some things that I kind of resist where I'm just like, I'm not going to carry that because that's ridiculous, you know? And I think coloring books I resisted for about a month or two 
until my staff finally wore me down and we're like, we need to carry more. <laughs> you know, so. Um, so you sell a lot, like you have a lot of used books and I know that it's like a big operation. There's always stuff coming in. And I'm just, I've always been curious, uh, someone's going through these books. Are there ever any surprise objects hidden within the pages that people use as bookmarks or whatever? And, and mostly I'm curious if there's any Shawshank redemption situations going on where people do cutouts and they store things in the books. Have you ever come across that? We've, we found cutouts, but never anything in them yet, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not that much that surprises me anymore. It's the same kind of stuff over and over. Um, you know, the, still the most, you know, fun or unusual thing is that pot leaf that we found in a Song of Solomon book uh, that I mentioned in a documentary that I, that I was in. Um, that's still probably one of the more unusual things. You know, there's definitely been a lot of money, a lot of cash. There's been a lot of letters you know being being in la and in hollywood you know you get a lot of celebrity uh descriptions and things like that or you'll get uh letters from one celebrity to another you know a lot of celebrities give each other books as gifts and then they donate those books <laughs> they don't hold on to them so uh but other than that you know just uh, a lot of odd bookmarks it's cool to see bookmarks from bookstores that have been gone for decades you know that you might have heard about you know but it's just like it's like finding this evidence that something existed, archaeological evidence, you know, that 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 story is long gone now. You know, it only exists through its bookmarks that are left. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing. But. Um, is expansion something you're thinking about? Uh, expansion in terms of our current location, yes. Uh, our landlord is sort of talking about having us uh, expand a little there and. and that may or may not happen. Um, you know, I can't do things as cheaply as I used to. Uh, things have to be a little more official. There's a lot more people involved now, so it's a little more expensive. Um, but we have more we have more capital to work with as well. So um, we'll see what happens with that. You know, um, a lot of it just depends on tenants, other tenants in the building, and if they come or go, then we may or may not move into spaces. Um, but as far as like moving to other locations or other cities, we've definitely gotten a lot of offers. Um, I'm sure because you're in a unique situation just from the outside looking in and being someone who goes to bookstores as much as I do. You're as much of a brand now as you are a bookstore. So you know, that's still so weird to me. Like I still can't wrap my head around yeah. the fact that anybody knows what I'm doing because I, I toiled in obscurity for so many years that, you know, it's just strange to me. And it's strange for me to be in my own store because a lot of people, you know, they don't know who I am. So it's it's odd when I'm rolling through and they just think I'm some customer, you know. And, um, it's still bizarre to me to think that it's so large and so well known. Um, but yeah, I I lean against expanding uh, anywhere else just because I uh, I just don't want the stress. Honestly, like I have a certain quality of life that I enjoy and. Uh, I don't need money to destroy that. I don't need, you know, the quest for more money to, to ruin that. Um, you know, I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with, you know, the living that I'm making. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, not hungry to expand. That's not to say it would never happen, but, uh, I would have to find some partners who were like-minded and really wanted to take it as their own thing, you know? Um, and I haven't looked for that and no one, I've never met anyone like that um, that I would trust to do that with. Um, they may be out there, you know, may meet somebody that really wants to do something similar and wants to take the name and we'll see. Um, 
but for now, you know, I got my hands full just just with what we've got going. Um, I like the fact that it's just a solitary location, you know. And uh, I do have like a smaller bookstore up in Oregon where I actually live now. Um, I actually commute to work by plane, um, by not not private but public plane. Um, <laughs> if if you said if you said private, everybody in America who, who hears this podcast would get into the bookstore business. <laughs> exactly. Or you'd be getting a lot of emails about licensing last bookstore's name. <laughs> yeah, no, I fly coach just to get to work. It it actually takes me about as long to fly from Oregon as it took me to drive in traffic from Pasadena to downtown. I'm sure. I was in. A, is Oregon? Is it just a lifestyle choice? Like, are you raising a family there, or yeah. get away from the yeah, city? A family. I've got two young kids, and it's just a slower pace of life. You know, more more nature. Um, just get out of the city, you know, no traffic. So <laughs> yeah, traffic uh, is something. Um, it's, it's cool though. It's cool to hear that you, it seems like you've found a wave and you're just happy riding that wave and, and, and yeah. um, you're at an equilibrium and the potential to expand is there, but you have a first class problem, as they say, you can decide. Sure. Um, is Amazon something that's on your radar or are you just kind of like whatever at this point? Um, it is. Yeah. I mean, Amazon's, Unlike most bookstores, Amazon is how I got my start. I mean, so I have an affinity for Amazon. We still sell books on Amazon. It's a very small part of our business now, but um, we still have a symbiotic relationship. You know, we're still able to use them and, and make profit. Um, that said, you know, I, I have no uh, doubts that they would wipe us out in a second if they could, and if they could take our place and make plenty of money off of us, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm wary of them. I'm wary of them opening a store somewhere nearby, you know, who knows what effect that might have. Um, but I don't put a lot of stock in it. You know, I started this business willing to to fail yeah. and, and not, and, you know, so I'm still in that place. It's actually a huge I'm asset there. for you in terms of like, you have this, uh, it seems to me just in the time that we've talked, you just have the kind of this uh, let it be mindset, you know, like if, if, uh, if I can't, sell books tomorrow um i'll figure out the next thing and that's a unique right. that's an asset for a lot of business people again, yeah and again i attribute that a large part to my disability and just having to come to terms with with what life throws at you i mean you just have to deal with it whatever happens you you know you take that as a challenge you do something else so i've always been ready for the other shoe to drop or for life to change on, you know on a moment's notice um so that's kind of still where i'm at you know if someone came up to you today and said, Hey Josh, I want to open up a bookstore. What tips would you give them? Well, I think you just really need to know the area. You need to know the neighborhood. You know, I, even as successful as I've been, I would never just go somewhere where I didn't know anything about it and just open a store. You know, I only felt confident doing it because I lived in the neighborhood. You lived in the building. I lived in the building. I knew all the people that walked the sidewalks down there, you know? So, um, I knew who my customers were going to be. So I would, I would advise you really to, to build a business where you live, where you know, you know, the people, um, and the culture. Um, I would say, you know, just really make it unique. You know, before I opened, I, I visited a lot of bookstores and I watched some documentaries on bookstores and then none of them were really inspiring to me. They just were kind of typical, <laughs> you know, there was sort of a, a, a a pre-programmed, you know, sort of formula for what a bookstore is supposed to be. And I'm not to say that we've strayed that far off of it, but all you really need to do is just tweak some of that formula to make something really interesting. You know, and I would just say, just make sure and make it your own, like put your own personality in it. Um, if that's what works in your culture and your neighborhood, you know, 
uh, that's another thing. Like a lot of businesses fail because they don't, they're not part of their community. They don't know what, you know, they're not into the same thing that their community is into. <laughs> so they open a business that nobody else cares about. Yeah. Um, you need to make sure that you're, you're one of the people and that you're in touch with what people are into in that area. Um, you know, make sure that that's part of it. Um, but yeah, just make it different, make it your own, put some personality into it, you know, make, you know, when you have to compete with online business now with Amazon, you, your only advantage really is, is creating something that is an experience for people that's, you know, more fun than buying online because you're never going to beat the convenience of online. So you have to give people a reason to leave the house and go, you know, have a, have a good time basically. Um, that's what I think every business should be, you know, whether it's a restaurant or, you know, a bookstore or a shoe store, like you want to create a good time for people. And then through that, they'll spend some money at your place, you know? Yeah. So no, I that's think really the only strategy that I can recommend, you know? A really cool thing about your store is that it's, to many, including myself, it's not a bookstore, it's a place. And right. being able to have people make that connection is that like, you've achieved that in a short period of time. Um, whereas there's a lot of bookstores that are, you just, oh, that's a bookstore. You know, there's some alchemy in what you've done and it's really cool to see. Um, do you guys broadcast events online? If you don't, is it something that you're thinking about? Like in terms of just expanding your net? Because you mentioned there's a lot of people on the East Coast that didn't know who you were. Is getting your tentacles out something that you guys are talking about or thinking about internally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, Actually, for a few years now, we've sort of been trying to figure out what what we want to do in terms of media, uh, in terms of podcasting or you know uh, YouTubing. Um, we've talked about doing like a reality show, um, but a lot of that again is just a lot of work. And so I've just sort of been mulling over the different ideas and kind of waiting for some people to show up who can take that and run with it. You know, um, that's kind of how I operate. <laughs> Um, eventually I may go looking for people, you know, to, to realize some of those ideas. But, um, again, I, I'm not wanting to put more work on my own plate. Um, sure. I need to, I, you know, whatever I do, whatever expansion we do, I do like to be involved in everything and every aspect of, of my business. So whatever expansion we do, uh, you know, it needs to be somewhat easy on me. Um, so that limits, you know, that's a limitation. Some would say that's a disadvantage and it's not being a smart businessman by being too, uh, too hands-on with everything, but that's just the way I like to do things. Um, right. also sleep at night. Um, you know, so yeah, it doesn't mean I won't grow as fast as I could. Sure. Um, but I'm confident, you know, that, uh, we can create something really cool in whatever direction we go in, you know? Um, so yeah, hopefully the next year or two, we'll start to look at something, uh, right now, the top of the list is kind of the reality show kind of thing, but something that we do ourselves. So it's not not something that's formulaic or uh, a creature of Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, we're trying to do something. We want to try and do something a little different. You know, so I'm glad. Just from the standpoint of like being top of mind, um, I think having your brand and I'm using that word very liberally, but just being able to be top of mind in various formats, it just it can it'll only enhance the lore and the potential for the store to like sustain itself over the long term. Um, is there an innovation or thing nobody's doing in the book business right now? Nothing comes to mind. You know, if it was that great of an idea, I probably wouldn't broadcast it. I'd probably try to do yeah, something with yeah, it myself. But I always ask that because um, 
sometimes you get locked into what you're doing on a daily basis and you're just kind of like doing your thing. I'm just trying to generate some sort of a dialogue in this. This whole podcast series is about showcasing the work that you guys do and the, and the places that you guys have created all across the country. And I want to find ways for you to be as successful as you possibly can be, you know? And sometimes there's innovations in our business that we just don't think about because we're so used to doing like this one thing over and over again. So only one or two people have had an answer. So don't feel bad. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to finish up with a lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and they can be yes or no answers. Or if you want to deep dive because of the beauty of the podcast medium, you can deep dive as long as you want. There's no time constraint. And I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what does the business look like for you in a year? Probably mostly the same other than hopefully some kind of media content being created. So more creative expression. Do you think that print is always going to be around? Yes. Just because it's been around for thousands of years, it's tactile. Uh, nothing has come along that is, is uh, superior to it in terms of uh, humans like objects. You know, we're, we're physical beings, so we like to touch physical things. So It is definitely one of the most enduring technologies, for sure. Yeah, and plus, it's just the nature of the human race. I mean, we take for granted that everyone's so technological because we live in a, a city, but most of the world is still, you know, living out in the woods or living out in uh, villages or they don't have ready access to the internet. They're, you know, they're just going about normal human life as they have for hundreds of years. So I, I don't think technology is really a huge part of the majority of the world's population yet. So. What are you reading at the moment? Oh gosh. Uh, I'm reading a parenting book because I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. <laughs> Not exciting, but I, I have to do it if I want to be a good parent. Are there any writers out there that you'd like to mention that you think should be getting more attention? Yeah, I'm the worst person to ask for that. I'm, I'm always way behind on that kind of thing. I, I tend to, to enjoy people that are dead much more than people that are living. Uh, I just, mostly because I like, when I read things, I almost like it to, be, to, to feel like it was written on another world or like in another place even if it's just like a regular novel. Like I like the language to be a little unfamiliar. I like the, the thinking to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm often bored by the predictability of, of modern life and, and how people react to, to things. Um, so I like, I like the unusual. I like, I like something to be a little strange to me. So that often requires finding dead writers, dead authors. So. Top of mind, you don't have to put too much thought into it. Is there a dead writer or two that kind of is always swirling around in your head? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a number of them. Uh, gosh, one that comes to mind is this guy, Charles Williams. He's like, he was like a contemporary of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. He hung out with them at their, at a pub, you know, and he just wrote weird kind of mystical Indiana Jones kind of adventures that are just really strange. Um, and no one ever really talks about him much anymore. You know, he's just kind of an obscure guy, but I like stuff like that sort of buried treasures. If you weren't doing this, if you weren't a bookseller, what would you be doing? I might actually be like a designer, like a graphic designer. Um, I, I, I enjoy design. I enjoy, I'm, I'm very amateur at it, but I, uh, I'm definitely a very visual person and I, and I enjoy collecting books on design and, and you know, looking at design all the time online. So. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask this earlier, but we got sidetracked. Talk about the typeface. Of the, of the last bookstore on the windows. Who found that? Do you know the name of the typeface? Yeah, um, I don't know the name, but it was actually 
um, from like the HP Lovecraft Society. It was like a fan club. They collected uh, a bunch of typography from like the 20s and sold it as like a package for people who are into that kind of thing. And so I bought it early on, you know, with commercial usage or whatever. And uh, yeah, we used we used several of those fonts. We, we still use those fonts basically for everything. Um, Very cool. So yeah, just sort of HP Lovecraft inspired. Uh, I don't think they definitely have any direct ties to him other than they come from the same period and of time as, as when he was writing. No, but it's a very distinctive, and I know you might push back against this, but it's, again, it seems so intentional to me. Like, you have this vision for, like, a brand, and it just works so well with the name of the store and what you guys do. I know a lot of it is accidental and whatever, but it's, I'm a little amazed at how nicely laid out everything is at the store, so. It was all just kind of snap decisions, meeting people who did something that I thought was cool and, and partnering with them. You know, it was, there was nothing, there was no board meetings, there were no you know, business plans, nothing like that. You know, just, the, you know, that book that the Phil Knight, the C, the founder of Nike that he came out with his memoir, uh, shoe dog, I think it was called. Yeah, uh, yeah. did you read that? Well, there's a, there's a big section in there where they're talking about the name and he had these horrible names. It was not Nike. Nike was not the name of the, of the company. It was like some four word, like multi polysyllabic name. And he was like adamant that he wanted to stick to it. And he had to sign a document that was basically going to, you know, for a, a, a fundraising round and he had to commit to the name and it took him forever to do it. And he basically had a committee and then the swoosh is a whole other thing unto itself, you know? And, and then there's the last bookstore, which is just, it seemingly fits, but there was, it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of agony that went into into creating that. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to take up. Yeah. Two, it's not going to take up two or three chapters of your book when it's all said and done, huh? Totally not. Yeah, that's another thing. I'm working on a book too, so that'll be another thing to look forward to the next year. Oh, cool! But, uh, oh, wow, you you're just yeah. breaking news on a podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I actually haven't written on it for a while. I need to get back to it. Is it planning on being released in the next few years, or are you kind of just writing things? Hopefully. I mean, I, I have no timetable. You know, anybody about it there's no timetable it's just me doing it so i may just print print it myself you know or we may try to sell it to somebody i don't know if anybody cares but um mm, i think some people do especially in yeah, la probably. i don't think you'll have yeah um what book have you recommended the most over the years to people that's a good question um probably uh letters to a young poet by rainer maria rilke um it's just a good book um, it's real inspirational whether you're a poet or not, which I'm not. Either that one or uh, The Writing Life by uh, Annie Dillard. Uh, I've recommended that quite a bit. It's just a real short book on writing that I got a lot out of when I was younger. Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Vic Singh, and you've been listening to Book Stories. Book Stories is produced by Alternate Thursdays in Los Angeles. 